the vision of conditionality is of um, potentials, potencies, potentials. Mm. Everything is fluid, waves. Could go this way, could go that way, could rise up, could cease. Ceasing of a wave doesn't mean annihilating water. Just means energy calms down, the wave no longer manifests. Where did it go? <laughs> well, the, the form is no longer being sustained, so it, it subsides. That's called cessation. So it's not an annihilation, it's just a withdrawal of energy, or activation, or engagement, or that causes these uh, certain potentials don't arise no interest, there's no energy for them that could be momentary or prolonged conditionality things come into being because of other conditions if those conditions no longer pertain they don't come into being if you bring those same conditions back again the whole thing lights up again But there can be the removal of certain obscurities, certain ignorance around conditions. Mm. Through understanding the fluency, the potencies, the wave-like forms of our experience. The assumption of being able to grab hold of any of it doesn't, doesn't have to act, doesn't have to get... When we, thoroughly penetrated and realized then the grabbing hold the acquisition you know, and the, the energies that could support that domination exploitation uh, covetousness selfishness you know subtle and gross really briefly greed hatred delusion don't have to can really be completely relinquished dis- dismantled they are fake um, attitudes and that's well in some way the whole is complexity is really just about that but until one has kind of calmed and steadied the whole uh, field it's not we don't necessarily detect those activations of acquisition of Entityhood, of ownership, of different, you know. So there are potencies in the field. And they rise dependent on certain conditions. And one of the primary conditions is the underlying assumption I am an isolated, separate entity that persists through time, I'm broken through time. This is my body, and this is my mind, and the kind of boundary around it. And uh, with any degree of intellectual analysis, this doesn't pertain, because this very mind is hugely impacted and has learned <coughs> and acquired programs and attitudes from the culture around it. And continues to do so. 
the fact that you continue to change and grow means it's permeable, means it adopts new things, means it, it drops old things, it's a permeable entity. There's no, there's no distinct self in it. Yeah. Similarly, this very body is inhabited by all kinds of microbes and bacteria and stuff going on in it. We, coming in from the air, the food, the genetic code, all the things that are just constantly flooding this very body. So there's no ownership. There's also no um, infallible agency. You can't say, make my mind be happy. Make my mind be calm. Make my mind be more astute than it is. We can attempt to, kind of, but um, the agency is is uh, limited. You can't say, "Make my body bigger than it is, or taller than it is, or last longer than it does," just through an act of will, will of that nature. What we can do is tweak a little bit. So, no agency, no no ownership. No, no, nothing. If it was self, there'd be nothing in it that was other than self. Be, if it was self, there'd be nothing within that boundary of self. There's anything but mine. But that's not the case. There's all kinds of programs and attitudes coming that I didn't invent. <laughs> they're adopted. They're 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 injected. Same with the body. So this is just a, this is a meeting place of conditions and energies and forms, and this meeting place is not just in, it extends through time. The time boundary itself is somewhat of an illusion. As we know, we we can be profoundly affected by events that happened twenty years ago. We can have psychologies that were implanted and are running still from our childhood. You know, it didn't drop away at the age of five, or ten, or twenty. And so, where's the time boundary? How real is that? <clears throat> so we have this field, effects, conditionality, conditioned field. And conditionality is not quite the same as exactly cause, cause and effect. Conditionality means there's a potential. So, for example, obvious example, if we have water, there's a potential for it to become ice, but it doesn't become ice unless the temperature drops or the pressure, uh, air pressure drops. Then it becomes ice. The temperature can drop, no water, you don't get ice. So, when, so ice is, is, so the process of water becoming ice is dependently arisen, but not an inevitable fact, not an inevitable cause. Get some water, it doesn't just become ice without other conditions supporting it. So this, this is the, this is the conditionality. 
So this means, of course, if we don't want ice, we keep the water warm. So there is potential agency to tweak, not the nature of water, but the conditions we put into it. Intentions and agency. We can have, there can be effect. Though we don't have complete agency, we can, there can be the effective effective engagement so going back to the same example you know water and ice I put it in the freezer yes that will become ice so definitely I can effectively engage to bring that around no water no matter how cold it gets, I can't get the ice. So it's all what's the material you're dealing with and what are you putting into it. Now, of course, this is um, particularly uh, subtle but uh, far-reaching when it comes down to mind, where everything is extremely fluid and uh, effective Uh, and of course has very strong dramatic effects have dramatic and physical consequences such as a violent intention can devastate and cause extreme harm and yet a violent intention is just what? it's the movement of energy in, in in the psyche and that, um, so, so recognize these potentials, and in terms of mind, there's enormous potentiality. Uh, that gives us the potential for liberation. Also, it gives us the potential for causing extreme harm. <laughs> there's a certain urgency then to practice. Particularly if the mind is veiled by ignorance, we don't necessarily recognize the potency, the possibilities, potential and the danger of the mind. Just cruise along according to the social norms and so on, without recognizing the potential for liberation and the danger that the mind presents. So it all counts on what conditions are being fostered, what conditions we're withdrawing energy from. And the beauty of the mind is if you're able to withdraw energy from certain dispositions, they fade out. Whereas in physical reality, you've got much longer more embedded conditionality. So mind is very fluent, very fluid. You can turn in in an instant. And of course what prevents it from turning an instant is 
I am this. <laughs> or I want this. Or you are this. That reification and solidification. have a look at some of the potentials that are presented in terms of liberation we have one here which is the Nguta Nikaya 1061 because this is said a first point first point of ignorance remember there are no real points in the field there are potentials. So a first point of ignorance is not seen, such that before this there was no ignorance and afterwards it came into being. So it's not a suddenly something pops up up of nowhere. So there's no initiating point which can be discerned. It's a pervasive uh, infusion in the field. Right? This makes a lot more sense when you really keep contemplating the nature of field effects. They're like magnetic currents, you know, which can line up all kinds of patterns and particles, but can also be switched off. But this field of mind has got not just one magnetic field, it's got quite a few. So, yeah. And you know, there are no points. It's just suffusive effects. It can be subdued or gross. So, the effect. So he says, there's no first point that we could sort of switch off. But it seemed to have specific condition. That is, rather than being um, something that we can kind of um, ultimately point to as it's there, you know, always, but certain specific qualities cause it to well up and, and crystallize. And here the the words that's being phrases being used words are being used is nutriment. So ignorance is fed by something. What is the nutriment for ignorance? It should be said the five hindrances. So sense desire, sense gratification, um, ill will, um, dullness and apathy, lethargy and apathy, um, restless worry, worrying and flurrying, unsettled, restless states, guilt, for example, is a, is a restless, worrying state, and probably wrong, you know and doubt, lack of confidence, lack of meaning. Doubt doesn't mean I don't know square root of something or the other. It means a deep, deep lack of confidence and meaning in life. Okay. What's the point? So we get into a nihilistic state with doubt. Doubt leads to depression. Depression leads to 
life reduction, even suicide. So doubt is not an intellectual issue. (laughs) It's an emotional, psychological condition of the absence of any rising up potency, openness, things could be better. There is a way for me. When there's a sense that there's no way forward, there's no point, then why continue? So, so there's a powerful effect five hindrances. And what they do is they very much affect the entry, the mind's entry into the field of potentials. With doubt there's no potential, or there's nothing, nothing worth potentizing. Everything's kind of flat, meaningless. Um, with greed, we associate only particular things are worth keeping energy to. Aversion, uh, certain elements need to be eradicated no matter what, through ill will, not through withdrawing energy, but by putting in negative energy. Uh, input of negative energy. As it said in the Dhamma Party, you don't cure hatred by hatred, you cure it by love. Doesn't mean we continue to hate, but the eradication of hatred is not by hating it. Or hating yourself or hating others, just a lot of forgiveness and love. So in other words, again, you know, the, the, the intrusion of negative energy, uh, the ill will, um, means we're trying to push things out of the field rather than change our relationship within that field. Dullness and apathy means a dimming of conscious awareness, engagement. So spacing out. Uh, what's the, you know, uh, not being alert, uh, not being attentive, having all kinds of um, um, blinkers, blinders, things that energy doesn't enter the field, it just goes stagnant. That's the case, we get a loss of ethical integrity. doesn't just mean being sleepy, it means the mind being inert, passive. And so what are these energies doing? Right? So greed is obscuring that which is not interesting. There's a focus on certain qualities, certain stimulations that we could be seemingly stimulate the system very much grabbing things for myself. And so the self that forms is the, all the potentials of stimulation. Self forms around stimulation. Dhammas that stimulate are given the highlight 
and this is what I'm going. This is what I am. This is what I go for. Right? Without that, I feel kind of bored, restless. Because you know? <laughs> right? there's no the ability to enter a field that's quiet or non-stimulating. Uh, is lost. We can only enter certain qualities stimulate and you look at the way things are how much of it is stimulating some bits are some bits are just so what <laughs> and so greed very much um, highlights and forms within the field um, certain potentials for stimulation and then the notion I can have I can acquire, I will be fulfilled by this, takes over. And the forming of a self, stimulated self, um, arises. And how long can a self be stimulated? Yeah. So as we can recognize people who have huge amounts of, of wealth, the stimulation requirements go up and up and up. Mm-hmm. So, extravagant expenditure, um, amazing luxurious vehicles, uh, fantasy exca- escapades, and so on, just huge amount of, because their, their self is oriented around stimulation. And stimulation, after a while, that item no longer carries the stimulation, I need another one. You go up and up and up. It's like an addiction process. So it's obviously it sets up the basis for craving, tanha, and forms a self that's dependent upon stimulation. Therefore you set up an addictive spiral starts. Seek stimulation I associate, I require stimulation, I need more, and so on, and so on, and so on. We crystallize into a particular pattern. Now, clearly, nobody does that uh, totally, but that can be one, one potential that becomes exaggerated. And uh, the understanding that things arise and pass is lost. Yeah. And the ability to allow things to pass is lost. And the ability to abide in that subsiding flow is lost because we only want the peak experiences. Monastic life is a great one for understanding sense desires. Because quite a lot of it is quite boring and... uh, tedious and the same old thing day after day so you get then the sense craving starts to look around for something and you're getting hooked on jelly babies because <laughs> you get men at 40 years old getting addicted to jelly babies because mm-hmm. there's no television no music the same old thing day after day your will I wish to eradicate that which I find displeasing, untidy, unnecessary, and so forth, disgusting, 
And so you put a negative energy into the field. Again, we're shaping things up in accordance with something. And that becomes myself. Or one of the programs that I call myself. Get rid of annoying, get rid of annoying people. Lazy, annoying people, get rid of them. <laughs> Pests and nuisances, get rid of them. Mm. Well, what about getting, changing our relationship instead? <laughs> so something that respects the variety, the range, and you know, pests have got just as much right to be here as I am. In fact, the greatest pest on the planet is the human, not the cockroach. If you look at it completely objectively. <clears throat> so then, doubt or dullness, we lose the, um, uh, we don't enter the field, we just kind of don't enter the field of dumbness, we sort of, or, tr- or try to avoid entering the field of dumbness, can't be bothered. So certain potencies for awakening don't get don't get activated. This is where you're recognizing not just the elimination of certain negative programs, but the need to potentize certain liberating conditions, such as energy, such as faith, such as aspiration, such as patience, such as persistence. Yeah. Restlessness and worry. Again, very much associated both both an energetic pattern, things can't settle properly, the, the bodily energy is unsettled, um, uh, can't find its, can't discharge, can't release, it's hyper, can't release, restless energy. Also, restlessness occurs as a psychological condition of not satisfied with myself, something wrong with me. Only I was this. Maybe I should try that. This doesn't work either. But over there it would. Mm. It's restlessness. Mm. And it can also turn into because of what I was in the past. Therefore, then restlessness builds up a sense of guilt. I can't find rest because of those terrible things I did 15 years ago. So my heart is not at rest. Restlessness, worry, guilt. And then what can I do to get rid of this guilt? This feeling of being unclean, impure, tainted, flawed, a mistake, somebody never works, somebody doesn't fit in, I'm the one who doesn't fit in. Well, welcome to the crowd. None of us fit in. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, so this, again, it's a kind of, uh, uh, you know, Inability to, to, to accept the instability of conditions. Things are changing, things are unstable. Nothing really rests except one's attitude towards conditions. Dispassion. Dispassion. Mm. Mm. Not expecting it to be complete, not expecting it to be perfect, not expecting it to be poignant, to be purposeful. All conditions 
have their unsatisfactory nature. Rather than roaming around looking for another one, why don't we see if we can we can make peace with the unsatisfied, unresolved conditions of, that we experience, that are experienced. And these are energetic, they're psychological, they're energetic, so they are uh, trapped reflexes. Naturally, there's a sense of desire, purposeful desire, uh, which is not just restless agitation, but saying, something here that's valid and valuable, let me turn towards that. But it's going to be coming from um, not from the way we perceive things rather than that which is perceived what is perceived is changeable unsatisfactory conditions but my relationship to them can be steadied and strengthened my motivation is therefore to steady and strengthen and purify my relational potential there's motivation for that I do get a bit frustrated. I do. I do have limitations on my patience and equanimity. I could develop that. Therefore, then the unsatisfactoriness conditions would not make me edgy and irritable. So there's definitely this motivation, but the motivation is to purify heart, which heart is relational. Um, as I mentioned, doubt, this sense of um, meaninglessness, uh, um, and the, means nothing really gets, get, things get stagnate. And the problem with doubt is, because the very word itself seems to imply an intellectual doubt. So if I could figure it out, if I could figure out what to do, where to go, should it be this way? This is not very comfortable here. Maybe there? Could I figure that out? Or make, am I making a mistake? Or could it be this way? We're trying to use the thinking mind to resolve a doubt. But doubt is not an intellectual matter. It can't be resolved through the thinking mind. It's in it. It's an emotional, psychological condition. It has to be resolved at a deeper level. My relationship to conditions and what's necessary in order to form a dispassionate relationship. So essentially it's like we're not expecting things but we bring forth energy because we bring forth energy and aspiration because they're just good in themselves. We're not looking for answers, we're looking to just purify the heart. Five hindrances. So the more those followed, those are followed, to the extent to which they're followed, this certainly feeds the proclivity to lose touch with the fluid, potential and selfless nature of conditions. 
which is actually so. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Okay, so these hindrances obviously prevent or, or build an unskillful relationship to conditions that arise, to sights, sounds, touches, people, events. We get angry, we get upset, we get greedy, we get restless, we get agitated, we get stirred, we feel depressed. Right? And the problem is out there, those things are not right, those people are not right, she's not right, he didn't treat me properly here. If I only had one of those, I'd be fine. Yeah. So that sets up, sets in. And so when that sets in, we get the relationships to experience built upon craving. I want one of those, get rid of those. And the result of that is the heart is not uh, strengthened. We get very dependent upon building up conditions that support my my wishes. Uh, so that puts certain pressure into the into the field. And the point is in Buddha Dharma is there is one thing that can be purified, and it is citta. Citta is fundamentally well. One aspect of it is relational. So can I relate to conditions that are not what I enjoy? Can I relate to conditions that are uncomfortable, not what I enjoy? Now, a mind, heart that's been trained or programmed towards gratification, ill will, will say, I don't know, I don't have to put up with this, I'll do something else. It remains fixed in that particular mode. Heart's been trained, so conditions that are not what I enjoy, I'll develop equanimity. instead and then the fever of craving and restlessness will abate my heart will feel comfortable through equanimity that's an example so you're developing allowing the heart to develop a greater relationship a more full relationship with conditions than that which is based upon greed or aversion or delusion So again, uh, living in, in communities, monastic communities, naturally it will become there some sort of aspiration. Everybody brings their aspiration. They also bring their psychologies, their problems, their blind spots, and their compulsions. And so you get a quite a motley crew of people. Who, some people get triggered by this, and some people don't even notice it. Some people really like this. Some people can't stand it. So you've got this kind of a community that is fundamentally, in some sense, dysfunctional. <laughs> but that's, there's nothing really unusual about that. That's why there's so few communities. <laughs> because you can get on with maybe one other person sometimes, but not all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You get on with some one other person. If you get on with one other person most of the time, you've really found that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's not even that usual. When you make it three people, it gets less possible. Five people, it's less possible. 
20 people. <laughs> All, right? So you think, oh, God, you know, how to be in this situation for? When they're ever going to come, can we all agree upon something, get it this, so everybody's comfortable and happy with it? Everybody understands, and nobody's missing the point, and everybody gets it. If only we could get to that state. Yeah. If only this kind of sense of kind of rocky uncertainness would stop. And the only thing that uh, Ajahn Chah would say about that um, that rocky, turbulent condition of things not quite fitting and people not quite being what we want them to be and wanting all that to stop says the only thing that has to stop is the desire that it stops then you just okay, it's like this now equanimity, dispassion and then maybe some compassion comes in kindness letting go, patience, and so forth. So you're developing a greater relational potential. At the end of the day, that stands in good stead because, of course, the one you have to live with all the time has got some pretty annoying quirks too. (laughs) The things she didn't do quite right, and things she forgot to do, and things he made a mistake over, and if only I'd be this way and not that way. <laughs> There's quite a few, quite a lot of that going on. And so, okay, this is like this now. These are causes and conditions. So the five hindrances are distinct potentials that can arise and take over. They're not necessarily there all the time. Um, so sometimes you go on retreat and it seems... After a month or so, things are calmed down, nice and peaceful, pretty happy, a lot of joy and ease. Ah, oh, that's the end of the five hindrances. Okay, so let's go home and find out whether they've really ended or not. <laughs> uh oh, here comes the will. <laughs> here comes the confusion. So, well then. What fortifies and strengthens the five hindrances are three kinds of misconduct. What are they? Basically, this means misconduct, bodily misconduct. That is, um, you know, physical actions that are obstructive, uh, violent, abusive, uh, uncaring, um, domineering. Verbal conduct, which does the same. And mental misconduct which means, I don't say anything, I don't do anything, but I think you're an idiot. That's <laughs> <laughs> probably quite, could be quite a lot of details on, on you know, narcissistic control freak, da 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 you know. And so what does that do to, to, you, to your heart? Yeah, gives it big boost for your will, doesn't it? Justifies your will. Restlessness. Don't want to be with this. So these are these kinds of <laughs> misconduct. <laughs> it's a strange term, but you know, in some ways, they will fortify the hindrances. 
Yeah, we have. Then again, it says, but then there are potency. You have some choice. You can first of all, you can physically refrain. With a bit of practice, you can verbally refrain, <laughs> and then you can begin to work on your attitudes. Like you know, I can get pretty demanding actually. I don't have a lot of tolerance. Certain people really get me going. I need to work on that rather than keep keep adopting it. Mm-hmm. I have a certain entitlement attitudes so I'm entitled mm-hmm. I'm look at that one mm-hmm. my rights mm-hmm. let's check that one out mm-hmm. is this food for ill will feeding ill will you see, so these are we looking at attitudes, not just verbal, not even even thinking, certain attitudes. And these attitudes are based upon myself as being the foundational reality that can judge everything else. Now, certainly there's a difference between judgment and an assessment. Wise assessment and judgment. Judgment means you are this, I am I know, and I am this, and you are that. Wise assessment means uh, there's a feeling of overwhelm is happening here. This overwhelm, if I if I stay with a sense of overwhelm, I think I could do some dif- difficult things. I'd better withdraw and just steady myself, I'm feeling overwhelmed that's a wise assessment I'm not saying it's your fault, I'm not saying it's my fault I'm just saying reading reading what's relevant, reading the heart right now I'm finding it really difficult to be with you that's not necessarily because of you it's just that's what's happening Uh, I I need to work on this so maybe we just withdraw and look at my attitudes and maybe we can negotiate So that's a wise assessment rather than a final judgment, taking a reading of where we're getting too intensely triggered, too intensely uh, activated to make a reasonable, balanced uh, relationship. This is not working. I need to understand that, not just going to blaming, which is no good at all, but honestly owning. I'm not capable of being whole and steady at this, in this situation at this time. Maybe figure out what can be, what needs to be potentized, what needs to have energy withdrawn from it. There can be a lot of idealistic projections. Maybe I need to just turn some of that down, get more realistic, pragmatic. There can be all kinds of programs going on that um, I expect everybody should like me. Well, why should everybody like you? (laughs) How realistic is that? Everybody should agree with me. Or I'm obliged to make it work for everyone else. When did you sign the contract on that one? If I don't make it work for you, I'm a failure. 
that was a bad contract to sign. <laughs> so we start to review some of these bases of you know, how we've bought into the wrong programs. That's the mental misconduct. And then it gives rise to uh, unsatisfactory relationships and hindrances. I'm so confused about myself. I feel I'm not doing enough because I should make other people happy or comfortable or be it or like me. And I'm not doing it. Must be something wrong with me. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. When you're in a field of mutuality, you go soft on me and them. It's not that I'm wrong or they're wrong, it's just it's not flowing. That can be known. And then what's needed? Nutriment for the three kinds of misconduct, non-restraint of the sense faculties. So sense faculties, um, obviously, very obvious example, you know, if we don't restrain the eye, we can get fascinated by advertising with highly seducible um, this can drive us into greed, manipulation and so forth um, we're highly susceptible to um, propaganda that makes us hate other people mm. so but restraining restraining the senses means you, you get some of those triggers coming in from the sense fields but you don't act upon them that's the restraining, it doesn't mean you're blind it means you don't restrain the potencies that rush out through the senses. Okay. Everybody has sense organs. But it's the, the restraint is of the energies that run through those, run out through those. Okay. So we can all see things. That when do you find yourself, wow. Oh, oh, yeah. So by doesn't mean going blind. It means keep if we keep that attention field quite sustained, soften the visual field. Then you can be aware of when something's pulling you. Fascinating, pulling you. Don't want to be pulled. You're losing balance. So then you turn down the energy coming out through the eyes, bringing back into your body. So the subtle body acts as an anchor for the outflowing. The outflowing is energetic. Energy rushes out through the eyes or the tongue into something. We get buried in it. We get absorbed into it. Flooded by it. And then really lose balance. Very common. Experience. Football match. Bash, bash the opposition. Have a few beers. Good, good afternoon. Well spent. <laughs> Worth hundred pounds, wasn't it? <laughs> so you're restraining the sense faculties, restraining the energy. Now, doesn't mean there's nothing wrong with energy. Don't, don't. But let's put it in the right place. Let's put it back into this. Uh, all the energy derived is derived fundamentally from the subtle body, 
energy body. So it pours out. It's like you're leaking. Bring it back. And it's, it's comfortable. And it's a source of joy and happiness. Of course, the big sense faculty of which things runs out through is the thinking mind. Whereas we can close the eyes, we can't close the mind. So an enormous amount of energy can rush off into our thinking mind. Uh, proliferation. Again, this is fed. 600 TV channels, not just one. <laughs> 600. Wow. Are you looking at the right one? Because whatever one you're looking at, you're missing out on 599 others. <laughs> okay. okay. So we get option, option soaked, option overload, and attention overload. The things we can think about, things we can bring to mind, there's a vast amount. Internet, you can have all the knowledge of, of millennia <laughs> coming into your thinking mind. So you get this sense of... Um, Mind is not restrained. Into what's necessary, what's helpful, what's necessary, what's relevant. One of the, you know, another incident the, the monastery, one of the monasteries in Thailand, they were trying to figure out what colour the shrine room wall should be. Which was the best colour, the shrine room wall. Some people thought it was subtle gold. No. So they went from white to off white. They went through a whole range of colours. You know, which is the right one? And people proliferate on particular tonalities that could have, could happen. Yeah. Or whether to even use paint at all, something else. Panelling might be good mm-hmm. instead. Or just rough plaster. So the whole sign eventually just came back to white again. <laughs> you know, like, because once you, the wall, you probably never really noticed the wall before. You suddenly think of the right possibility, you go through all the possibilities. And, well, how much do you really need to know? How much do you need to know? The knowables are vast. How much do you need to know? And one of the uh, beautifully frustrating um, presentations the Buddha makes about the uh, nature of Nibbana is you can't know it. Is it this or that? No, it's not this and it's not that. Is it the opposite? You can't say that either. What is it then? You can't say it. It's non conceivable. Mm. So, we've been trying to figure this one out for the last 2,500 years. <laughs> what actually is it? Does it mean you're alive after death, or subtly alive, or not really alive, or in some other state? Does it mean, you know, Buddha says, you just, you just can't know it? It goes beyond, beyond the ability to conceive. Mm. 
so restraint, just some modesty, humility. And maybe that sounds like a, a kind of like a limitation, but the point of that is the energy is, is gathered into what can be not conceived or grasped, what can be realized, which it comes to you. And what comes to you is peace, stability, ease, freedom from the known. And so this depends on mindfulness and thorough awareness. If they're absent, we're not mindful, then we don't overcome or able to restrain the senses. It requires that quality of mindfulness to, wait a minute, supervise what's going on here. Losing the boundaries, dispassionate attention, that quality of mindfulness and appropriate attention and so forth. Careless attention means we are giving attention to topics that don't lead anywhere useful. Lack of faith. Careless attention is fed by a lack of faith. We don't recognize, we don't have the sense there is something that we could give careful attention to. But because of that lack of faith in the potency of the heart, it doesn't really matter what you attend to, so therefore your attention gets kind of careless. It scatters on anything that is thrown in front of you. But if one has faith in the heart, you say, no, this heart quality needs to be, is valuable, needs to be protected, don't bother with that, don't give attention to that, then it will grow. Without it, we lose, we leak. Our energy leaks out, and our heart leaks out into useless pathways. Lack of faith occurs when you don't hear the good Dhamma, you don't get teachings and instructions, or see mod- modeling that reminds you of that which is stable, dignified, calm, self self aware. You don't get those teachings, or you don't see those being modeled. So, therefore, again, you don't have faith. Because all you see is people who are doing careless things. And um, hearing the good Dharma means associating with good people. Uh, people who are, have integrity, people of integrity. So, I think that's a really lovely sequence saying, you know, how ignorance is fortified and brought into given power to by the non-attending, non-cultivation of qualities. And conversely, if these qualities are cultivated, the elimination of the hindrances, the restraint of the senses, the cultivation of careful attention, the fostering of faith, association with good people, hearing good dharma, then ignorance diminishes and ceases. And it's really lovely that such a kind of a teaching can seem very abstract in some of the senses, eventually comes down to just find some good people. 